Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The latest government's signal on bringing in a windfall tax on the runaway profits of energy companies. It's our intention as a government um, or at least we're minded at this point uh, to introduce a windfall tax. What we have to work out is how it will apply and how it will work. As the budget looms, Ryanair airline boss Michael O'Leary slams the idea of giving electricity credits to those who simply don't need them. The government giving, uh, you know, 200 euro energy subsidies to rich people like me are, you know, is not the way out of this. It is for government to cut spending, not uh, waste it on rich people like me. We're joined here live in studio tonight by Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald to discuss the cost of living crisis and the budget ahead. And later we discuss all the big news stories of the week with our Thursday night news panel, including mourning continuing for Britain's Queen Elizabeth, who died a week ago. These are the very latest pictures live from London tonight as the queue of mourners stretches for almost five miles. Do join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. As always, it's hashtag tonight, VMTV. First tonight, I'm joined by the Sinn Féin president and leader of the opposition, Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, Mary Lou, you're very welcome to the programme, as always. Uh, let's get down to business. Let's look at the first day back in the Dáil yesterday and the one issue that really dominated across the floor was the energy crisis and the pressure that it's putting on people. Do you agree with the Taoiseach when he says this is going to be prolonged? I think it has been prolonged. I mean, I'm, I'm just conscious that people in the last 12 months or so have faced 50 price hikes. I mean, an astonishing thing. Who would have thought a couple of short years ago that that was even possible and yet it's happened. Some people have uh, drawn a comparison between what's happening now and the 1970s, but I think the, the received wisdom now is what's happening now is so much more difficult than it than even then. So no great surprise that when the doll met again, that this was the, the big, big issue. People are struggling. People are struggling very hard. We're coming into the winter now, colder nights, you know, longer nights. And the real fear for people is twofold, trying to make the bills as they are, but a fear of another hike. 
So we have a difference of opinion with the government in terms of the best way to intervene. And that really was the the talking point or the debating point on the floor of the Dáil yesterday. Yeah. Now, you agree on one thing, which is a windfall tax. And we heard yeah. uh, Leo Radcliffe saying today that they do seem to be looking at that windfall tax. But the two differences, I suppose, you believe there should be tiered cash payments, but you also believe there should be a price a cap. cap. Yeah. Now, the price cap, you said, will cost about $1.6 It's for four months of the year, mm -hmm. October to February. Mm -hmm. Can you actually just break that down for me? Your average household, what would their bill look like between October and February with and without a price cap. Okay. So the reason why we have pitched it from October to the end of February is because we know that most households expend about 70 to 75% of their entire annual energy in that period. The reason why we want to cut the cost and cap it is because we believe particularly in those winter months, you need to have some level of certainty. Um, and the Taoiseach made the point yesterday that it might not be over by the end of February. It might not be. I absolutely accept that. But where he and I differ is that I believe for those really hard months, you need to cut costs and you need to provide that level of certainty so people aren't worrying not just about the affordability of now, but of the prospect of actually facing another hike in their bills. So you asked me, what will that mean in terms of cash into somebody's pocket? It will mean a saving of about a thousand euros for the average uh, household. Uh, how we've calculated- Between October and, and February. And February, yeah. So the government's proposal is 600 euro in credits. Yeah. So yours is an additional 400 euro. It is. And here's, here's the, the core distinction you see. I'm realistic enough to know that for people who are struggling, help, whatever form it comes in, is going to be welcomed. I get that. But the difficulty with the direct cash payment is that when it was done last time, do you remember the 200 euro payment? The reality is that by the time it hit people's accounts, sure, it had been gobbled up by, by, yeah. by hikes in price anyway. So, but does that variable that you're talking about there, that also applies to the price cap, doesn't it? Well, no, the, I mean... What so the, the budget that you have of 1.6 billion, given the uncertainties in the market at the moment, well, you can't say with any certainty well, that we, that will cover the cost we, we until can, February of end next say, year. We can say this, that we have taken the costs as they were um, in uh, the summer of 2021, pre uh, the crisis. We have taken the, the costs now um, and we have calculated the differential. We're saying peel, bring the costs back to where they were at in 2021 and then the state has to subvent the difference. But what I'm saying is we can't predict, you can't predict, Sinn Féin can't predict where the prices are going to go between now and the end of February. Well, well it, suppliers, generators give notices of hikes. Um, you've seen that uh, in recent times. But uh, you're absolutely right. Nobody can say with absolute precision exactly where prices will land. So the 1.6 billion, you could end up going in excess well, of that? No, we don't. The, the, the way the calculation that we have run tells us so. okay. that the closest figure is actually 1.4 billion. We reckon it'll be that. We've built in a buffer. We also have spoken about a windfall tax and we know at a European level, they're looking at very welcome initiatives. And we believe if properly delivered, those initiatives could have the effect of driving okay. prices down, which would mean the subvention, the grant from the state would also yeah. come down. Again, but no let me certainty tell you, with let that. Let me be clear. This I is an emergency measure. 
It is timeline. It is absolutely necessary. It, it is, is absolutely necessary that we do this. Also, Mary Lou MacDonald, universal. Mm -hmm. So you would get this energy price cap. Do you need that? It, it's universal because it is. It, it would prove virtually impossible to put in place a selective or targeted reduction and cap. But what we are also proposing as part of our package is cash payments that are very much targeted. Yes, very but much so. Just to focus on the price cap, we heard Michael O'Leary saying there, I am a rich person in this country. I do not need this money. Do you need this money, this price no, cap? I mean, I'm, 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 I wouldn't describe myself as a rich person, but I'm gainfully employed and, and our, house, our household can manage. Absolutely, I accept that. And you would benefit from but, this. But I, do you I not have not, an issue with that? But, but this is not designed, Kira, to benefit to benefit me. This is designed, but, it will. but this is designed in recognition of the fact that households throughout the country who are struggling to get by need to know that their electricity bill will come down, that they will save money, and that they will have the certainty for the winter months that it's it's not going to that there aren't going to be any increases. But so when we look, I suppose, Mary Lou, you mentioned certainty there. When we look at the UK and we look at France that have both introduced price caps, they've both had to move those price caps repeatedly. Yet France come out only yesterday and say price cap in place, given what's happened with prices, that's going to go up by fifteen percent early next year. A reflection of just how expensive the price cap was and the lack of certainty, actually, that perhaps it offers. Well, uh, our proposal is timeline for the winter months. Um, I very much hope that we will see light at the end of the tunnel sooner rather than later. I have also said to you that we're very clear that windfall tax also needs to be levied because it's entirely wrong that big uh, companies turn bumper profits while households struggle. And you need to find the balance in all of this. But the absolute priority is for people, and they'll be watching your programme this evening, Kira. lots of them saying, how am I going to make this bill? And my God, if, if it goes up again, I am, I am truly, but, truly in difficulty. But you'll accept that the price cap has moved, has had to move in the two countries, UK and France, where it was first introduced. Well, well, increased. Look, that's, but, but look, that's, I, I hope that that won't be the case. But my overriding priority now, and I believe the overriding priority of any government with an ounce of decency is to give some level of peace of mind and certainty to families that are struggling and bring their costs down. And then on the targeted measures, the cash payments that we have proposed, Michael O'Leary won't be getting one cent from us. He will be very happy to hear. We, we would tier those payments and for uh, income earners over 70,000 euros, any individual earning over 70,000 euros would not be getting any direct cash payment under our plan. Okay, so, so whereas look at those the cash is universal, mm. the actual direct cash payments are not. They yeah. are very much targeted at low and middle income families. But you have targeted these at individuals, not households. Yes. And it's anybody who earns below 70,000. So could you have a scenario then where you have two people in a household bringing home 50,000 each, two individuals, household income of 100,000, they get the cash payment. Yeah. But a single individual earning 75,000 doesn't get anything? Well, it, that's, that's, the, that's the way in which it would work. But the, the, Is that not absolutely nonsensical? You could have two people in a household earning 65,000, 130,000 coming into that household, but somebody on 73,000 well, doesn't we, get we it. An individual paying all the bills by themselves. We, in, we envisage a flat payment of 100 euros for anybody who earns 
between 60 and 70. Anything over 70, zero, nothing. But further down the food chain... I know, chain, but do you not just get that point, Mary Lee McDonald? Because I do find that difficult to understand in my head, how you can take two incomes from a household that could add to 120,000 and say, yes, you'll get the payment, two payments, in fact, because you're two individuals, but a single person or a family where only one parent is working and the other parent is at home, perhaps the children, earning 75,000, you don't get anything. Okay, so... Is the, that the cut-off point, I'm wondering, the, for Sinn Féin? 70,000? Well, for the purposes of this scheme, yes, you see, you can't argue and say, well, you have to have targeted measures and then say, well, I don't like the targets when, when, when they are targeted. But Let you could have, but you could have, you could have given Kira, it to households. Kira, Look at a household Kira, you're, you're focusing at people who are very much on the, on the upper end of, of earnings. Most people in the Irish economy don't earn 65 or 70,000 or anything close to it. So more importantly, and just so as your viewers know, 500 euros would be payable to, to those that earn 21,000 euros or less. And that's a big, big section of, of the, uh, the Irish uh, working population, taxpaying population. And it starts at 500 and then we ratchet it down in accordance with your okay. income level. Is it, is it absolutely perfect? Is, there, is it absolutely anomaly free? I don't know any scheme that is, but I can tell you this much. It is a far better combination to introduce on the one, a cap that brings your electricity bill down, gives you that certainty, and then targeted payments rather than just an a la carte right. um, standard payment to everyone, including Michael O'Leary, who himself acknowledges he doesn't need, doesn't need that payment. Um, we have obviously discussed at length in this programme, the need to find alternatives um, to um, gas and electricity. Right. Um, I know you're against uh, the LNG terminal and storing, and I know everybody's preference now is to move towards renewables. Does Sinn Féin have any opposition to nuclear or to ever looking at nuclear? We don't support nuclear. Uh, we never have. Um, we believe that we have so many other options um, in terms of the, the wind resource that we have. I mean, we have a massive opportunity, Gera, mm. in terms of offshore wind. Everybody acknowledges that. That's not We're not alone in advocating that position. But we certainly don't have the kind of pace, the kind of policy framework or resource that is needed to really get that delivered and delivered in it, it much more, much more quickly. I accept, look, there's... There is clearly now an issue around, we've talked about the cost of energy, but all the, also the security of supply. And the writing's on the wall for us as an island nation. We will have the opportunity in the coming years to achieve um, energy independence for the island. I believe it's a big ambition, but that's where we, where we need uh, to aim. But for that to happen, simple things in the system need to get sorted out, like the resourcing of the planning system for onboard Planola, for example. And the industry is unanimous in saying this is one of yeah. the most significant bottlenecks and one of their most significant frustrations in delivering yeah. this essential All right. um, renewable. Uh, on Tuesday week, we're going to get the budget. Uh, Sinn Féin will publish their alternative uh, budget tomorrow. I know one of the things you're looking at is uh, changing the USC Mm -hmm. um, for workers as opposed to um, changing uh, income tax rates. How would you, in general, broaden the tax base here? Because we had this Commission of Taxation report today, 116 recommendations, and a, and a recognition, I think, across the board that to pay for everything we need to pay for in this country, everything from healthcare to housing to education to childcare, we need to broaden the tax base. Mm -hmm. 
your top two ways you would do that? Yeah, but bear in mind, we're also one of very few European states that will run a surplus this year. Um, mm. And bear in mind that uh, we have currently, and this is acknowledged, uh, an over-reliance, like a very strong reliance on the uh, corporate tax receipts. So we need to name that. It's very welcome that the receipts are so strong, but it is perilous to rely uh, it to such a heavy extent on it. Would you We've do talked... anything, sorry to cut across you there, sorry. would you any, do anything to prevent a corporation tax shock in the future? Well, how you do that is you develop your indigenous um, base, your indigenous industrial base. We have the very great advantage of being uh, very attractive for foreign direct investment, for tech, for pharma, for life science. All of that's a good news story because those are good jobs, high paying jobs. But we've never quite matched that with the, the spin-off and the development of the indigenous SMEs and, and micro enterprise. Now, enterprise and other state okay. agencies um, do what they can, but, the, but there has to be a recalibration and much more emphasis given to developing those indigenous sectors, helping them online, helping them to build and develop and diversify in terms of export markets and so on. And you on. think they have the potential to, um, I suppose, I think pay the corporation tax receipts that we have seen the, in the, the last couple the, of years, the, which has you know, given us the scope to introduce well, the type I'm, of measures I'm not, we have in this I'm project. not arguing, just so as we're clear, I am arguing for us to protect our FDI investment. Why would you not? Yeah, but I am also saying that cannot be the be-all the whole story of the Irish economic mix because that's not healthy, not least because we want to see um, a, a level of decentralisation development of the regions, okay. as they're called, rural parts, you know, and get more balanced development across the island. And a critical part of that is supporting the incredible entrepreneurs and business people, small business people that we have right across the island. In so, terms of those small business people, you mentioned kind of COVID-style supports for them um, instead of capping their energy price um, their energy bills rather. Can you put a price on that, a figure on that? Um, we're still finalising those figures. It will be substantial um, and it will involve repurposing the types of supports that were necessary during the COVID emergency. And actually, and speaking, cost. speaking to some, I, I, I don't have a cost for you this evening, but it will, it will be presented, as you have said, as a, as a package by Piers Doherty, our finance spokesperson. Some of the business people that I've been talking to, Kira, have told me actually this energy shock and this inflationary spiral is more serious for them than even what they went through in COVID. Astonishingly enough, I never thought I would hear those words said, but that's been said to me. Okay, so just back very briefly to broadening the tax base. You yes. accept that that has to be done? Yes, I think we need, we need change um, uh, in our tax uh, approach. I mean, one of the things that we have argued for is a wealth tax. Yeah. So outside of the wealth tax, because I think Sinn Féin's been very clear on that. Outside yeah, of well, that. That's a, that's a crucial widening of, of the, the, tax, uh, the tax base. I think we need to look at, this isn't a widening of the base, but it's certainly a, an alteration of how we're levying income taxes. We believe that individual income, and let me stress, not family income, an individual who has worked hard enough, who is lucky enough and fortunate enough to earn in excess of 140,000, we believe they should pay a little bit more um, income tax. Yeah. What about those around the middle? Because I think people are very clear, I suppose, who um, 
Sinn Féin have stood for in the past. But in more recent times, I think you've tried to move to represent those in the squeezed middle a bit more. So in terms of the tax base for those people, what would you suggest? Well, I, I've said to you already, our, our personal, our personal uh, taxation measures in the budget will afford a level of re relief for every taxpayer, including, crucially, those squeezed middle, um, those squeezed middle income through the USC Income tax, yes. That'll be the change that's, for them. That's the change that we're proposing for this budgetary cycle, yeah. Okay, but the, the you know, entering the 40% rate of tax for people, um, you wouldn't increase that? Well, I, middle, I, I, I think... Obviously, Fingale are proposing. Well, they are, but you see, the, the, the downfall of taking that approach is that you don't actually give a benefit to about 70% of the workforce never actually pay tax at that higher level. So yeah. the advantage of how we will come at it... I'm, I'm just talking specifically for the squeezed middle. I know, but I'm, in, I'm including them here. And what I am saying to you is the approach that Piers Doherty will set out will afford relief to all of those families and all of those workers. What, what the government's proposal would do is actually exclude... 70% of workers, it would advantage not just squeeze, mid not squeeze middle, but high income earners and leave a whole lot of people behind. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the Queen. Um, there, I think there was a real sense um, since the Queen's death that Sinn Féin has a party, particularly when we saw, I suppose, Michelle O'Neill and how she greeted uh, King Charles III in Northern Ireland and, and the warmth and the openness of that greeting, that the party has kind of grown up a bit. Would you accept that? I think I think the world has moved on a lot. Um, I think you know we, we'll have twenty five years of the Good Friday Agreement, a quarter of a century of a peace process next year. I mean, thank God for that. That's a huge collective effort, a huge collective achievement. And I, I as a, as a Republican, as somebody who has no truck with monarchy, who who does not feel any sense of allegiance or even understanding of of all of that, I, I was more than happy. Uh, and I'm more than happy to acknowledge uh, Queen Elizabeth II and the fact that at times she was a great champion of reconciliation and, and so on. And similarly, King Charles, now we knew him, of course, when he was only a prince. He's now King uh, Charles. Um, we've had uh, interactions uh, with him. They have always been cordial, warm, I think very uh, direct. And I think you saw that reflect in the, it reflected in the exchange with Michelle. And is that a change? Yes, it is. Who would have thought yeah. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that that was possible? But this shows, and I hope this gives confidence to people, on the one hand, to reaffirm just how far we've come, mm -hmm. but also to demonstrate just how far, much further we can go. So, uh, whereas... Does the, it risk, the do you think, I wonder, as the president of Sinn Féin, do you worry about the risk that you will alienate some people who fought for 30 years against British rule? Absolutely not. I am a committed, convinced and passionate United Irelander. I believe the unity of this is the best plan for all of us. And I also believe, and we've discussed this before, mm -hmm. that we will have referendums on the constitutional question on the border uh, in the course of this decade. I believe that we can we can end partition and I look forward to that day. Will you set and, aside money in your budget tomorrow for that? But I also, I, I want to just finish yeah. the first question before you, you bounce that on me. Um, and I also know that uh, people who have a very strong, staunch position in terms of uh, Irish reunification um, are capable of compassion 
and dignity and respect. And I think that's what you've seen over the last number of days. And I think that is a, a really, really welcome thing. And I think it has been welcomed, very warmly welcomed. Um, back to that question of the referendum and your push for United Ireland. Will you set aside money in your budget for that tomorrow? Um, well, interestingly enough, um, the, there's infrastructural money for all sorts and manners of projects that have been set aside for many, many uh, the long year. The problem is they haven't been delivered and up around your neck of the woods, up around Donegal. You know all about, um, you know all about that. Actually, the, the main thing that we need to happen now isn't something that, that is going to cost a huge amount of money. We need a government in Dublin, the government in Dublin, to actually take the decision. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And recognize the changes happening and that we need to prepare for it now. So what we need, okay. I mean, we need resources, but above all else, we need political will, we need political honesty, and we need to have an appetite for engagement. So we need a green paper from the, the government in okay. Dublin setting out ideas. We need a citizen's assembly. But what we actually, what's lacking at this moment is the political decision to get the show on the road. Okay, um, last uh, question. Talking about changing, you are riding high in the polls, Mary Lou MacDonald, and have been quite consistently for some time now. I think it was 35% in the most recent poll. Um, and you're being spoken about as the next Taoiseach in the country. And many would say sort of your trip around the world uh, over the summer months was, you know, the actions of a Taoiseach in waiting. Have you got your fantasy cabinets ready, your list of ministers ready to go with their portfolios. Is that what's going on inside Sinn Féin as was being reported in the Irish Examiner recently? Well, the, the team is working very, very hard. And I, I know the polling numbers are very encouraging. It demonstrates that since the 2020 election, the appetite for change has grown. Some people thought it was a flash in the pan. It's not. The time is ripe now for change. I think most people think the, the idea of Micheál Martin handing over the baton to Leo Varadkar on the 15th of December um, is, you know, pretty farcical in, in, 
in a climate where so many people want to see uh, that change. So we're working hard. We, I, I have said to all of our team, we need to be prepared. Um, and we are also, and I am not one bit presumptuous about the outcome of the next election, whenever it might be. I am at this long enough to know that you earn your spot and that requires hard work and dedication. And in, within Sinn Féin now, that's what all of us uh, are at and that's what I have said to my team. And I'm glad to report that they are rallying to the flag. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. A Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, thank, uh, you. thank you for coming in to us this evening. Well, next, all the big stories of a very busy news week including that meeting between Britain's new King Charles III and leading politicians in Northern Ireland. Stay with us. You're very welcome back. I'm joined now by Sunday Independent senior news journalist and author Mark Tai, pharmacist and former Fine Gael TD Kate O'Connell and newspaper opinion columnist Ian O'Doherty. You're all very welcome uh, to the programme. We're going to start, Ian, with you and the reaction, I suppose, that we've seen, particularly uh, within the UK, to the death of Queen Elizabeth uh, this uh, last Thursday. It was last Thursday, um, yeah, seven days ago, we saw a little earlier in the programme the queues, the queues, um, five miles long, nine hours it would take uh, if you wanted to pay your respects at the coffin of Queen Elizabeth. We're just looking at those live shots now. You do get the sense sometimes that really there's an awful lot of people in uh, Great Britain who feel that the foundations of the country have really been shook by her death. They, well, they really do because, like an awful lot of Irish people actually, um, a lot of the British are really admire the Queen, but they're not so sure necessarily about the monarchy. So, I mean, this is a, it's a genuinely historic moment. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or whether you're a monarchist or whether maybe like most of us, you're just a kind of a, an interested observer because let's face it, I mean, the royal family for the last few years, they're just like a posh version of East Enders. Um, you know, a dysfunctional family um, that's lost They've had control. their moments, I think, and, and, and the, queen, the queen was like the Barbara Windsor figure um, in the royal family. But I do think that from our perspective, um, her visit here in 2011 changed mm -hmm. the national view of her particularly and royalty in general, where we realised that they aren't the, you know, the, the big bad that we were all brought up in, in, in school and stuff like that. And I found, I thought it was, it was about as sad as it can be when a woman in her 90s dies, you know what I mean? It, like it's, we all knew it was coming. Um, and I was looking at it as a journalist and because I'm always, like most journalists, I'm more interested in the reaction to the story than necessarily the event that provoked the story. And the reactions have been bonkers. But yet I found when they were repeating the clip of the interview she did with Paddington Bear, um, I actually found myself choking up at that. It's always the little things that kind of get you. But in the classic way of the world these days, uh, the sad news came out about the death. Everybody for about 10 minutes went, this is awful. And then the lunatics all sort of came climbing out of the woodwork. I mean, there's one nutty professor in America who was saying that, you know, she sits on a, she sat on a throne of blood and that she hoped that oh, the yeah, Queen's death was... this anti-monarchist yeah. voice, his perhaps but, is extreme. My, but there my, has been real criticism. Well, well, well my favourite was that the, the, the Iranian government came out and actually uh, compared it to Hitler. Um, but then again, I mean, this is the Iranian, so maybe they meant it as a compliment. 
God mm. only knows. And Mark, speaking of visits to um, Ireland and to Northern Ireland, the visit of King Charles to Northern Ireland this week and the reception that he got, particularly from Sinn Féin. I think we have a clip here of sort of a private conversation that was happening between uh, Michelle O'Neill uh, from Sinn Féin and King Charles. Let's take a listen. It's very good to see you again. I haven't seen you. Nice see you. Days. Yes, I know. A few years. Cork, I think, was the last time we met. But you're now the biggest part of the You are indeed. Yeah. You are indeed. Could we tell Jeffrey that? Oh, we're skilled in introducing. Now, Mark, what did you make of that? Yeah, um, like Charles is a very interesting character. I think he's actually a bit of a hibernophile. You know, he, he loves coming to Ireland. He's been up to Donegal, uh, my part of the woods, your part of the woods. Um, he's been all around the west of Ireland. He, he loves coming over here and he's a real interest in Irish politics, I think. Whereas the Queen was a bit of a, a blank slate. People project what they thought she was like, you know, onto her from their own maybe biases. I think he was the first member of the royal family to come here to Ireland after independence, wasn't he? Um, yes. Would I be right? I think I, I read I, that. I was actually on the press pack that covered that tour and I never in my life thought... That that's I, the reaction he would get because from the, somebody like The interesting like thing is that I felt so incredibly sorry for him. You wouldn't, if you spend a day with Charles, you would not want to walk in his shoes. It's a terrible job. It's unbelievably boring. But everywhere he went, uh, there were Sinn Féin protesters hounding him, yeah. haranguing him and stuff because of the relationship with the Paris and all that kind of stuff. So to see what we're seeing today... This is, it's huge, it's seismic. Yeah, how will he fare, do you think, Kate? Because I really was conscious this week following, um, you know, the media and their reaction to him that there were questions about his temperament, any sort of mistake he made, any comments he made over a pen he didn't like. They were quick to jump on it. And I wonder, is he going to be given the grace period or is it an uphill battle for him among the press particularly and the public in the UK? Yeah, I mean, look, the, when you're live on camera and your mum has just died and you've this, all this pageantry and pomp to go through, there has to be allowances made. Yeah, we should now, cut him a bit if of If you do rare a lad like that and the way he was reared by his mother, it's only natural that he would react the way he did to the inky pen. So, you know, if you're brought up in a life of privilege like that and an inky pen is this awful event that's happened, it's just kind of funny to watch the privilege and maybe the lack of insight. But then you have to make allowances for him. It must be very stressful to be on camera, the whole thing, and his mum having died, and also the wider family, and the big job he's to take over. So you're giving but, him another chance? Well, not necessarily, but I, I, we did have a bit of a laugh, because I was going, what is the Irish equivalent to that bloody stinking thing? Like, what would we say? What's the Irish equivalent? And we obviously can't say what the Irish equivalent <laughs> is on air. We'll not go there. <laughs> Do you think the Sinn Féin response to King Charles, Mark, in um, Northern Ireland this week, did it make the DUP uncomfortable? Definitely. I think um, I, Newton Emerson was writing about this in the Irish Times, and I'd agree with them that uh, Sinn Féin had played a Immaculately, you know, you have Prince Char or now King Charles up there praising uh, Sinn Féin, their ingenuity. Um, you know, this is from someone who, you know, we all know how with Lord Mountbatten and Sligo. And you have, here you have him, um, you have Geoffrey Donaldson in second place because the DUP lost the election to Sinn Féin. He's praising them for their ingenuity and they're joking about the DUP being in second place. And he knows about how there's no uh, working government in the North at the moment because of the DUP's intransigence over Brexit. So I think we'll see Charles as a much more active um, uh, head of the monarchy. Do you when, think he could be a good thing, a really positive influence? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, he, he, he's going to be much more involved. That would be my read off it than, than his, and his predecessor, his mother, yeah. Okay, I want to move on to Ukraine, uh, Kate. Um, 
the Ukrainian army regaining ground in, in northeast uh, Ukraine this week. I mean, we've talked about turning points in the war. Was this seen, and do you think it is a real turning point? Well, it is a turning point, and I actually am hosting a Ukrainian family, so I'm kind of up to date on how things are over there from the people who, who are experiencing it. And it's seen as a very positive move. Is it near the end? I doubt it. Mm. Um, I can't see that you could apply rational decision-making uh, um, sort of science to anything that Putin will do. However, there is sort of a spin thing going on now that you know, he got the wrong maybe information. So there might be a little bit of backtracking that he's trying to cleanse you know, the reasons for this for the start. There's a little bit of that going on. But I do think that it would be a little bit positive to, to say that this is the beginning of the end. It's a positive move, but there's an awful lot of work to, work to be done. But like, you've got a country that's destroyed. You've millions of people displaced. And, you know, there's, it's so long now people have been separated from their families like the, the, the males in their families or other family members, it's becoming a real issue for people. Um, yeah, it was interesting too, wasn't it, Mark, to look, I think, at the reaction within Russia uh, to this. For the first time, I think, ever, OK, there hasn't been direct criticism of Putin. I don't think we'll ever hear that. But certainly criticism or an acknowledgement that parts of their war effort are failing. Yeah, there's been complete uh, change in, in, in the kind of... Uh, uh, constant narration of you know what's happening and you know there's been voices coming out there and say actually you know Ukrainians are a separate people it's time for negotiation those voices haven't been heard over the last six months so you've got them kicked out of the Kharkiv region and you can see the, the backlash from Russia now they're targeting civilian infrastructure they're targeting power stations targeting dams you know going it's real kind of desperate war crime war criminal uh, actions from Putin the Putin regime uh, so it's a hugely positive um um, the development this week. You know, I know Simon Coveney was over there this week. You know, with uh, the Lithuanian Foreign Affairs Minister meeting their, their their Ukrainian counterpart. You know, offering more Irish support. Obviously, we we aren't uh, offering military aid. We are offering humanitarian aid and other. Obviously, the we are hosting so many refugees here as well. But yeah, I think positive developments. If, if you go back to February, no one would have predicted that Ukraine would withstand six months of an onslaught from Russia and be forcing them back to their border at this stage. Yeah. But obviously, there's a lot more land that's still you know, deeply entrenched for the Russians, especially uh, down in the south near Kherson. There's a, a real bloody battle going on there at the moment. Yeah, and the EU, I suppose, uh, from their perspective, Ursula von der Leyen saying this week, Ian, that you know, we'll support you to the end. The sanctions will continue and the other support will be there. Is that including military support, do you think? Because there has been questions, hasn't there, whether that's as forthcoming now as it was back in February? It really depends on all the levels of escalation. Um, nobody wants to see... I mean, the, the, by the way, I mean, it should be pointed out, the Ukrainian counter-offensive the other day was a military masterstroke. Mm. Completely, completely blindsided. blindsided them. Completely blindsided them. And the Russians have actually become a laughingstock militarily anyway. And the Ukrainians are behaving like a professional army. And, you know, mm. but... My worry, and I said it, I think one of the last times I was on this programme, actually, um, because I'm a child of the bomb, I'm a child of the 80s, and I grew up watching Threads and The Day After and stuff like that. Uh, my worry is that the more he loses and the more unhinged he becomes, because this isn't the Putin of five years ago. This isn't the very cunning, clever as a fox Putin who could outplay everybody. This looks like a man who's quite ill, uh, both mentally and physically. Um, my worry is that we could actually see uh, the deployment of a battlefield tactical nuke. What they're known, they're known as baby nukes. Um, 
and an airburst that doesn't create that much fallout and stuff like that. Um, and once that happens, and like, who here honestly thought NATO generals in our lifetime would be talking about their fears that Putin's actually going to unleash nuclear weapons? Um, when I said it a few months ago, back in March or whatever, everybody was kind of laughing, just thinking I was, you know. But now, actually, the, the serious generals in NATO are going, they're already wargaming how, what their response is going to be. But the thing is, once we see a situation, if there's NATO right. weapons being used in, across the border in Russia, after Russia drop a bomb, um, forget, about the cost of, forget about the cost of living yeah. crisis. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there for now, but there's lots coming up after the break, including that sudden retirement of tes tennis legend in O'Marks, absolutely devastated. Uh, for Roger Federer, do stay with us. is still here with me, Sunday Independent senior news journalist and author Mark Tai, pharmacist and former TD Kate O'Connell and newspaper opinion columnist Ian O'Doherty. Um, Kate, I want to start with you and the case of uh, Enoch Burke, the school teacher, which many of our viewers will be uh, familiar with. There are some in society for whom he's becoming a bit of a hero figure as this sort of champion for free speech. Isn't he? Yeah, and I'd imagine that is completely intentional and that's what was expected. Um, it's the whole plan. I don't think there's, I, my own belief is I don't think there's anything accidental about this case. I think it's strategic. I think it's been planned for a long time. And um, Mr. Burke has in the past um, displayed very clearly on social media his views on certain issues. So it all aligns with a certain way of thinking and this is deliberate. And now we have made essentially, or a martyr has been made out of this man. And I think it's deeply unhelpful to the whole issue, the whole trans issue. Mm, is one of the real difficulties here, Mark, is that there is no clear policy, is there, in schools? No, no. sort of cohesion across schools? I think, I think there should be a policy, excuse me now, yeah. of just being decent and nice to people and being kind to people. I think we, we, we crossed that bridge in Ireland I think with the marriage equality, and then we progressed it with the Eighth Amendment. And I think my, my overall take from both of those referenda were that let's not judge people, let people be happy, and let's try and see things, and that we all don't need to go on some sort of journey to see how we judge people. But he's not in Mountjoy because he refused to use an assigned pronoun. He's in Mountjoy because he's breaking the law. Yes, yes, he's yes, in, yes. He's in contempt, of yes, course. Yes, yes. Now, the thing about it is, is that a lot of people can actually see... Now, not, <clears throat> most people who aren't extremely evangelical religious people, they won't necessarily want to be on the same side as somebody like Burke and the Burke family. But a lot of people have very legitimate issues with the whole the rise of transgenderism and the, the assault on the language and stuff like that. But I do think people need... I mean, if you read some of the... Assault okay. on, if you yeah. read, but if you read yeah. some of the... No, no, I mean, assault on language now, come on. Of course it's an assault on language. You can't ask... OK, we, I really it. don't want to get into that debate okay, this but the thing is, if we, we if, don't if, have if, anybody if, else if we look on the programme if, to represent if, that If issue. we look at, the, the, for example, the English media's coverage of this, it's all about the transgender issue, whereas actually, technically, and ultimately, it's because he's... He's piggybacking, I agree. Okay, I know, but one on is it. connected to the other. I, Mark, yeah, the, the relation, the, the question about there being you know, a policy, a cohesive policy from the Department of Education across all schools, it's not there, no, is it? No, we asked the department, you know, what, what are your 
do you have any policies or guidelines for schools, whether it's primary or, or secondary schools, in terms of, you know, if, if, a, if a child and their parents wants their pronouns modified for them to socially transition? They said no. So we approached all the various unions, uh, the principals network, and they said a lot of them take their their policies and their advice um, from groups like TENI or, you know, Transgender Support Equality Network and belong to. But there are other um, gr- um, boards and boards of management who are taking their advice from a, gr- um, a group like Genspect who are saying, well, no, you shouldn't just jump into uh, accepting a, a child's pronouns unless there's medical, um, not authorization, but medical advice and it's been supervised because social transition is a is a, something that's a big intervention. So there are different mm-hmm. perspectives on this. And even saying that will bring down a hell of a lot of criticism. I know just even from writing that story at the weekend. Um, and so there, there is no national policy. And so there is, it's a bit higgledy-piggledy in terms of, you know, if you are a child and, you know, you, you want to socially transition and your parents support you, it depends very much. It very much depends what and school. And where they've aligned themselves. Yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, I want to move on to uh, contraception. Um, Kate, because I know you wanted to talk about this. Free contraception for 17 to 25-year-olds. We've come a long way from the contraceptive trains, haven't we? We have indeed. And this was one of the key recommendations, one of the many recommendations from the the committee that sat um, preceding the referendum in 2018. And I hope it's followed up with the next one, which is the non-directive sex education, because these recommendations all were worked on with the men and women on the committee to try and make it a country with the, the least need for abortion. And it is proven statistically that countries that have access to free access to contraception and early access to non-directive sex education, that there are happier relationships or better relationships, but also less unwanted pregnancy and lower lower, um, abortion rates. So this is really good. I have to congratulate the minister on it for doing it. As a community pharmacist, it was a bit of a challenge rolling it out overnight, essentially. We're getting there. People, it really is welcomed by people because on top of, 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 of it being just a positive thing for women and men's health, um, or for families, um, just people in general, um, it's also great in terms of the cost of living because if your pill is 20 quid, it's a lot out of your month. Yeah, I mean, you say you want to congratulate the minister, but I am conscious, I think, Mark, when governments introduce measures like this, they rarely get any credit for them. Yes, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, the Greens are lagging way behind Sinn Féin, especially among that lower age cohort in the, you know, in any poll you look at or even at the last election. So I suppose, you know, bringing in policies which are, you know, in effect, no-brainer policies, you know, it's... it's, it's a, but he still had to do it. He had to do it, no. And look, it's, to, it's it to be commended. And but there would be people who still don't agree with it. And you come across, I've come across people who said, what are we paying for the contraception for? I said, well, you know, just, it's done now. Well, there is, but, you know... Kate, there is an argument, and we've seen this happen in America. This is following on from uh, cases that have happened in the States. I mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, the, the, my main problem is a practical level that it's, you know the age group is too restrictive. They need to expand that. Absolutely. And also as well... But it's a first step. And also, what about condoms? You know, um, they're not included. But there is... Go now, as I said, I, I, the, 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 the straight man just can't get a break, just can't, get, just can't get a break. Um, I'll sort out. I'll but, get but, someone but, and send, but, you, but, but, send you a bag of the free yeah. HSE This is not yeah, a conversation we'll get, we'll I'm having with you on today. We'll get you a discount deal. The real passion killer, the HSE There is... One of the things I've noticed that nobody's actually said is that in this country particularly, we have spent generations after generations of trying to get the government and the state out of our bedrooms. So now we have a situation where the state is paying for our sex lives. It's a great. God bless Ireland. And is that not a good thing? Many would say. All right, I want to move on um, to Roger Federer. 
the tennis ace. I know you are particularly um, stoned because you're the same age as him, Mark, and this might spell the end of your own career, yeah, your own sporting I, career. I, I wish I could retire at 41, but I can understand and getting a bit um, the aches and pains as you get a bit older. Look, I, he's, he, as a tennis fan, I, he's a legendary player. He just had such a smooth way of playing. Like when I saw Pete Sampras playing, how good he was at Wimbledon, you, you thought he'd never be surpassed. And then along came the Swiss fella just with an immaculate um, playing style. I, to be honest, I was—I I never supported him in his matches. He was just too clean cut for me. Okay, you're more of a Djokovic, I was more, Nadal, I, were Djokovic you? Djokovic or Nadal, whoever he was playing, I was always cheering for them, you know, but yeah, and there was that famous five-setter in uh, Wimbledon where uh, Nadal triumphed, you know, it was one of the greatest matches, I think, in tennis history. Um, you know, he, he deserves all the plaudits he's getting, you know, it's, and, you know, to be that brilliant and be surpassed in the, the number of Grand Slams by Djokovic and Nadal is just incredible that we had this amazing era of tennis in the last 20 years. Speaking of incredible, Gareth Brooks is in town. I know you're all massive Gareth this Brooks is fan. This is me. Maybe I'll just speak for the next yeah. minute myself. <laughs> None of you have been to Croke Park, have you? Not to Gareth You're Brooks. missing out. You're missing out. My wife is going, but I'm not going. No. Oh, tell her she's in for a massive treat. Look, no, as it a, was As a good. music fan, I, I, I steered well. And as somebody who loves American country music, you steered well clear, Ian. Steered well clear of him. But it's did it not actually bring... Who, it's music for people who don't really like music. <laughs> OK, oh, I'm going to take that as a personal <laughs> insult, Ian, but I'll forgive you because it's the last day of the week. It did actually, I think, to be honest, Kate, it brought a bit of positivity and a bit of fun to the city. It's a pretty bleak time for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's been... like All the concerts over the summer really just opened up the country. I even went, like, you know... With to, a, to an indoor event and I've broken from my, my COVID cocoon. So I think, you know, really this summer opened up the country, got us all back out and we're just sort of pulling out of COVID and hopefully sort of forget the last few years ever happened, just roll <laughs> it all into maybe one year. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and the group chat is over on Virgin Media 2 now. But to all my guests, thank you very much from the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.